the Christian life is that which the believer has been called to follow. That's why we're called followers of Christ. We are not leading the Lord. The Lord is the one leading us. So he said in John 10, 4, he goes before them. Before them means he is ahead. He is in front. And then the sheep follow the shepherd. God truly doesn't give you money. What he gives you is a word. So you must always listen for the word. By separating yourself. You set yourself upon it. You yield yourself to the Lord. And then he begins to guide you. The word of God is a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. Be blessed today as God's servant, Reverend Peter Ayo Alabi, brings you God's word. Lord Jesus. John chapter 10, verse 4 and verse 5. Let's read together one to go, the whole church. And when he put it forth his own ship, he goeth before them, and the ship follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger they will not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. How to be led by the Spirit of God. And this is part three. And this morning I'm teaching on listening to the voice of God. Listening to the voice of God. Glory to God. All right, so we've been teaching on this subject, and this is the third week. And... Uh, it's important to listen if you will hear the voice of God. So we talked about who the Holy Ghost is last Sunday. The upper Sunday we spoke about the reborn spirit. And today we're looking at listening to the Holy Ghost. If you will hear, then you must listen. If you will hear, then you must listen. You must listen. Not many know how to listen to the Holy Ghost, but you can know how to do it. You can know how to listen to the Holy Spirit. There is a learning to listening to God. There is a learning to it. It can be learned how to listen to the voice of the Lord. And you see, the first thing is to pay attention. If you will listen to the voice of God, then you must Pay attention. You must pay attention. Isaiah 55 verse 3, he said, Incline thine hear and come unto me. He said, Hear and your soul shall live. And I'll make an everlasting covenant with you, even the short mercies of David. So notice now that the one who will hear and live is the one who has inclined his ear. So incline your ear means to pay attention. It means to pay attention. We just read in John chapter 10 and verse 4 how the Lord Jesus was speaking and he said that as for the sheep, they are always behind the shepherd. The shepherd goes ahead of them. He goes before them. Did you see that? So it means the Christian life is that which the believer has been called to follow. The believer is called to follow. The Christian life is that which the believer is called to follow. So that's why we're called followers of Christ. We are not leading the Lord. The Lord is the one leading us. He's the one leading us. So he said in John 10, 4, he goes before them. Before them means he is ahead. He is in front. And then the sheep follow the shepherd. Do you see that? Paul speaking to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 11, 1, be you followers of me as I am a follower of Christ. So he's saying I'm following 
the Lord Jesus Christ. When Jesus met with the disciples, he said to them, follow me and I will make you what? Fishers of men. We are called to follow. We are called to follow. You see that word follow actually also means to, to imitate him, him being our model, him being our example. Ephesians 5.1, be you followers. Did you see of God as dear children? Be you followers of God as dear children. The word there is mimitus in the Greek. It means to copy him. That is to follow his pattern and example. So we are called to follow. The believer is brought into a life of followership. And that's again where you get the word discipleship from. A disciple is somebody who is a follower. A disciple is somebody who is a follower. It's unfortunate that not every Christian is a disciple. There are a lot of believers who are not disciples. They are born again, but they are not following. They are born again, but they've not got on the journey of following the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you see that? Followership is not just about your nature, even though your nature makes it possible to be a follower. But your nature, that is being partaker of the divine nature, 2 Peter 1, 4, does not automatically mean that you're already following Jesus. You must now start following him. You must now begin to copy him. You must now begin to see his ways and then walk in his ways. Thou shalt show me the path of life. Psalm 16, 11. He says, for in thy presence is fullness of joy at thy right hand, there are pleasures evermore. But notice that you will show me the path of life, the way of life, in other words. You see that. What, now, when somebody shows you a path, it is not just so you can label it. It is so you can walk in it. Did you see that? It is so you can walk in it. So the Christian life is actually one in which the believer is called to follow. To follow. So many are saved, but they have not started following. They have not started following. And that follow there again means to copy him. That is to walk according to his pattern. I told you many times, God is a God of patterns. So, when we say God is the God of patterns, what it means is he set patterns so that we can follow those patterns. If you don't have a follower, you don't need to set patterns. The purpose of setting a pattern is because of people who are coming behind you so that they can have something to walk in. So, God is a God of patterns because he has raised and is still raising a family of followers. A family of followers. And I want you to know this. Being a follower is a thing of joy. And a thing of safety. You see, the carnal mind sees followership as though, you know, as something demeaning. Well, those who consider followership as demeaning are people who are very unwise. Because being a follower simply means life has been made easier for you. Being a follower simply means you don't need to walk in confusion. You have something to guide you. And that's why we are called his sheep. Any Christian who doesn't like followership is a goat. Are you hear what I'm saying now? A sheep loves to follow. Loves to follow. And by the way, you need to understand, followership requires more intelligence than rebellion. Because it doesn't require intelligence to destroy things. You don't need to be brave to destroy your life. You just need to be stupid. That's all. And your life will be over. But if you will build a successful life, you need wisdom. And in the same way, to follow requires intelligence because you need to observe. It takes intelligence to observe. So when you say a follower, you are looking at a wise man. You are looking at an intelligent person. 
Followers are intelligent people. Because you need to observe. You need to know what you are following. You need to be able to critically see this is what the instruction means. Did you see that? It takes a lot. But if you want to live life anyhow, you don't need to be intelligent. Just wake up, do whatever you like. Somebody say, not me. I wish you could talk like your voice is yours. Say, not me. Say, I am a follower. And as I always teach in the ministry, never follow a man who doesn't have a pattern in front of him. Who doesn't have a follower. I mean, somebody is following rather. To follow a person who is not following somebody is a dangerous thing. I hear what I'm saying now. To follow a person who is not following somebody is a dangerous thing because, like I told you, it means that person is not intelligent. He's doing whatsoever he likes. She's doing whatsoever she likes. God designed our lives to be lived according to patterns. You see, if you want to build a house, you see followership everywhere in life. If you want to build a house, the architect has drawn a plan. Everybody working on that site is following what the architect drew. Remove followership. That's why buildings are collapsing everywhere. No plan. Or somebody chose to not follow the plan and do his own thing. And then it cost the lives of many. In the same way in life, without a pattern, you are heading for disaster. Are you hearing what I'm saying now? Say one more time. Say, I am a follower. And if you will be a follower, then you must learn how to listen. You must learn how to listen. You know, many of you who have a job working as employees, the reason why you are employed in your place of work is because there are instructions they've given you and you have intelligently followed those instructions. The day you begin to say, I will do it the way I want, you know, you are already preparing to pack your things and resume your bedroom. But if you will stay employed under your employer, you must continue to develop your capacity to receive instructions and carry the instructions out intelligently. So followership is everywhere. So when I see people say, I can't follow anybody. Well, number one, you're looking at a liar because he's following somebody. The clothes he's wearing, he didn't invent it. He's following trend. Whether it's a new trend or an old one, everybody is following somebody. Everybody is following somebody. Everybody is following somebody. Everybody. Intelligent man with his degree. He sees the red light. He won't stop. And the reason is because a downfall driver drove in spite of the red light. So you followed him. So who is your leader now? A downfall driver is your leader. <laughs> there is, there are at least two things in your life per time. And that's just being fair. That is as a result of your followership of somebody somewhere. If you look at a person sitting next to you, you now there are two things that you can see right now that is a result of somebody they are following. Ask them, why did you cut your hair like this? Why is your makeup light or why is it heavy? Somebody inspired it. You see what I'm saying? The way you sit down. If you look at anyone, the way your neighbor is sitting down, he copied it from somewhere. Most likely, if you go to their family, that's how everybody sits. <laughs> this is what I'm saying now. So, everybody is a follower. But it's important to choose what you follow. Because wherever you are in life, somebody or something you follow brought you there. Whether it's a good place, 
or a bad place, wherever you are in life today, somebody or something you've been following led you to this point. And it's very simple. If you are not in a good place in life, then you need to do what? Change what you are following. Some have been following the voice of their ancestors. You know, I remember on two occasions, my son and I would say, who are our ancestors? I say, Abraham. Abraham. Father Abraham. Not the people in the kitty. No. Abraham is our ancestor. I don't know anybody in the kitty. Abraham is my own ancestor. And I say, who's our ancestor? I say, Abraham is our ancestor. He said, you are denying your group from the kitty. Yes, I agree. Guilty as that. I denied them for life. <laughs> who is your own ancestor? Is it people from Imo State? This <laughs> is what I'm saying now. So you can choose what you follow. And that's what we did at the point of salvation. We chose to follow Jesus. Some have not sang that song in years. Some have never sang it before. You only hear people singing it. Those are songs of commitment. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. So Christianity is about following the Lord Jesus. What are the things we follow? We follow his plan. We follow his word. You know, if you are a member of this church, you know that over the years, we keep emphasizing that God has a plan for your life. God has a plan for your life. It began at salvation. God has a plan for the life of the unsaved. The plan of God for the unsaved is for him, first of all, to get saved. Then he will now discover other things that God has for him. So we follow God's plan. Number two, we follow God's word. Not in any particular order. We follow God's word. We must follow up the followers of God's word. James 1 22. Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving your own selves. The way to follow God's word is to do it. If you quote it but you don't do it, you're not a follower of the word. The way to be a follower of the word is to be a doer of the word. Be a doer of the word. You know, I've told you recent time, I keep saying it over and over again. The most exciting part of the word of God to me is the doing part. The doing part. Every time situations arise and we look, what does the word say? Let's do it and let's get excited doing it. He said, walk in love, then walk in love now. He said, forgive, then forgive now. He said, give, give now. He said, preach, preach now. He said, pray, then pray. When you wake up in the morning and you refuse to pray, you are not doing God's work. Never forget that God will never tell us to do what he has not given us ability to do. Never. God will never tell us to do what he has not first of all given us ability to do. And what that tells is whatever God's word says you should do, you can do it. You can do it. And so you get excited and get it done. Rather than get bothered about how will I now do this, get excited and say thank you Father, because I know there's ability to do it. While you are thanking him, you will see how. I just gave you one serious secret there now. I'll say it again. Rather than get bothered, ah, this thing the Bible says we should do in this situation, how will I be able to do it? Don't do that. Rather give thanks. Say, Father, thank you because I know you have given me ability to do what your word says in this situation. While you are giving God thanks, you will see how to do what the word says. Because again, you know the blessing is in the doing of the word. The blessing is not just in the hearing. James 1.25, he said, this man who continues in the word and is a doer of the works, he said, that man shall be blessed in his deeds. That is the man who will be blessed. All of us can hear it. We can be excited by hearing it, but it is the ones who do it 
that will be blessed and it will show in their lives. It will show in their lives. For example, in doing God's word, it says it's going to be medicine and health to all your flesh. Proverbs 4.22. It will be health and medicine to all your flesh. So one of the secrets, one of the rewards of a healthy life is to follow God's word. Follow God's word. Follow God's word. There is life in it. The word of God will keep you alive. To keep you alive and strong. Alive and well. Are you hearing what I'm saying, somebody? So we follow God's plan. We follow God's word. And then, of course, as we're teaching, we follow the Holy Spirit. We follow God's spirit. We follow God's spirit. Number four, we follow God's men that he has sent over our lives. Paul said, follow me as I'm a follower of Christ. We follow God's men that he has sent over our lives. We follow God's men that he has sent over our lives. I've given you four things to follow. That the Bible, you know, you can see from God's word we have to follow. We follow God's plan. We follow God's word. We follow God's spirit. We follow God's men. That's his teaching on his own there. Follow God's plan. Follow God's word. Follow God's spirit. Follow God's men. You see, you need to check in your life. Are you following all those four? Did you see that? You must check it. You see, following those four things I just mentioned now, will revolutionize your life. Some people are following the voices in the world. In 1 Corinthians 14, it says there are many voices as it were in the world and none of it is without signification. So it means there are many things a man can follow in this life. But unfortunately, not many things can lead you to a good place. But these four I just told you will lead you to a good place. And all four of them agree. Must agree. The man of God you follow must follow those other three. I hear what I'm saying now. What makes a man of God worthy of following is that he's also somebody who is following what? The plan of God, God's word, God's spirit. Did you get that now? It's very easy. It's very easy. Tell them, say, life is simple. Say, don't stress your life. I don't think your neighbor heard you. Say, neighbor. Say, this life is simple, sir. Say, don't stress your life, sir. I wonder when I'll come down. I'm coming. Don't worry. <laughs> Did you see? And like we said, the first thing is to pay attention if you will listen. Because followers listen. To follow the leading of the Holy Ghost, we've got to learn how to listen to the Holy Spirit. And the first thing is to pay attention. So we've seen Isaiah 55 3, incline your ear and come unto me. Hear and your soul shall live. Notice they incline your ear and come unto me. In other words, before you even draw close, as you are drawing close, start paying attention. Start paying attention. You know, there's a way to come to church that you will never hear anything that is said in the service. And there's a way to come to church that you will hear everything that is said and what was not said. Because there is such a thing as the preparation of the heart. There is such a thing as the preparation of the heart. So he says, incline your ear and come unto me. Proverbs 4.20, my son, attend to my words. Incline thine ear unto my sayings. Did you see that? Incline my ear unto my sayings. Like I told you earlier on, there is a way you come to church and you will not hear for example, when you're coming to church, I'm already taking the time. I hope they will not stay too long this Sunday. You will not hear nothing. Because all you will hear is the clock. When will they finish? 
And I'll say to you by the Spirit of the Lord, as the Lord has instructed me in the next couple of days, weeks, months, to emphasize the importance of staying long in church, in teaching and practice. So you better know now, this man of God you're looking at here does not care how you feel about long teaching. Read my lips. It was not a uh, slip of the tongue or a mistake of the tongue. I don't care how you feel about long teaching. No. He's the one who sends, a mess, who sends you on errand that you fear. Not the people you are going to deliver the message. So no matter how your expression is, just save it. It cannot shorten my message time. It will only add wrinkles to your life. So when you enter this church, be happy. Uh-huh. Because I know that pastors like that have become endangered species. There are not many of them anymore. Sorry, many of us. Anymore. Pastors who preach according to the face of your member. No, I preach by the spirit. And we have time allotted here. One hour, 30 minutes plus X. X being the Holy Ghost. And what that simply means, sometimes the Holy Ghost can say, just stay with you one hour, 30 minutes and, and close it there. And sometimes the Holy Ghost says, move on. Keep speaking. I'll tell you when to stop. You don't need a pastor who is going to be led by you. You need a pastor who remains led by the Spirit of God. And you look at it, when the service starts by 9, even if it closes at 12.45, it's not too much, sir. Just do the math. That's 3 hours, 45 minutes out of your life. In a week. How many days, how many hours makes, makes a day? In case you forgot it. I'm not sure your neighbor remembers it. Tell your neighbor. How many hours makes a day? 24. Multiply by 7. Now you need your calculator. Use it. There's no shame in that. No shame, no shame. Quickly use your calculator now. You can help us put one on the screen for the sake of the brethren. 24 times 7 is what? 168 hours per week. If you give 4 hours out of it to the Lord, What's the ratio? Or what's the divided? What's the fraction? Where is that person that said finish with first class? Where are you? <laughs> yes, because now I'm saying things that I need you to know that I'm bold about it. So I will come and say it to your face. Yes, give me, give me. What do you say? That is 0.02% of your week. Are you sure? Teacher, don't take me nonsense. I was telling them in the HSU, I say I'm very brilliant, so don't think uh, because they gave me social studies to study. Because I was wondering, there's no, it's not possible for 0.0 something to be. Uh, so it's 2.38% of your week. If four hour service on Sunday is just two points, what again? 2.38. So write it to everybody. That calculation. Is, is gospel mathematics we are doing now. We are doing gospel what? Gospel mathematics. Because I realize what the devil is doing in this generation is, you know, if the devil wants to mislead you, he will first of all make sure that you lose perspective. So what I'm doing right now is deliberate. I want to give you perspective. To put it in perspective, four-hour service on Sunday is only 2.38% of your week. See how little that is. It's not even up to a tithe of your week. And you see Christians who find it uncomfortable 
and you don't know what is happening to you. The devil is pushing you out of the boundary lines of safety without knowing it. Because it's now common. Most of the churches you see around, people want to hurry up on time. And so it has now become a culture. So people feel it is now unacceptable to do the right thing. And what is the wrong thing has now become the norm. So you see them watching time. And that's why they don't get nothing from the service. You can't expect to be built up as a believer when you come to church with a mind that you don't want them to waste your time. You can't. In fact, that you even think about wasting your time, you need repentance. Church, waste your time. No. After all, sometimes you spend six hours in traffic. So what did they do to you there? What education did you get inside the traffic? The last one officer was laying hands on you. But many Christians in this generation have lost perspective. So they feel it's too much. It's too long. You cannot be a solid believer with a one hour 45 minute service. Quote me anywhere. You cannot. I mean you cannot. You cannot didn't. Because I need to use a stronger negative for it. You cannot didn't become a solid Christian with one hour 45. It's not possible. It is not possible. And let me tell you something because it's not only even the teaching. When we also lift our hands to worship God, it's part of what edifies you as a Christian. That you are seated next to another believer and you are exchanging pleasantries, you are smiling at each other, is part of it. But when we collapse everything and we squeeze it in, we rob ourselves of those benefits. A Christian who is practicing part-time Christianity cannot defeat a full-time devil. You cannot defeat a full-time devil. It's not possible. Another devil is saying for the most part, he laughs at many Christians in this generation. I'm sure he's laughing at them. Just look at this. this one. I will finish you. Because like they say in computer, giggle, garbage in, garbage out. What you didn't receive into you, you can't use it to face life. So there must be patience. Jesus taught for three days. He was teaching three days. It's not three days of going and coming back home. It's not morning afternoon session. No, three days. The message started day one, didn't end until day three. He taught continuously. Three days. People didn't go home. It was on the third day. They say, okay, they let them be going. Now say, ah, that's when you remember there's something called food. For three whole days. Paul was going to do benediction, started in the evening, went on to the following morning, just to close, in conclusion. <laughs> Finally, brethren. And you see, even in his writing there, in Philippians 3, he said, Fire, brethren, he wrote another chapter. <laughs> and that's how to raise solid Christians. And that's what our whole vision is here raising stronger believers, not raising weaklings. Raising stronger what? So when you come to church, don't be coming with the mind of, ah, I just want to quickly dash in and dash out. Nobody can dash with things in life that way. Just dash in and you dash out. Don't, don't dash out. Stay. You tarry at the table. You should be such a Christian that if at all, for any reason, God forbid, you still want to teach for just 30 minutes and say, ah, why? What happened? Say, Dad, hope everything is okay, sir. 
I said, over the years, I've been to places to preach. After 25 minutes, they say, we are blessed. I said, you can't be blessed. It's not possible. You it is impossible for you to have been blessed by now. I just 25 minutes. I've not started teaching yet. So whatever you are calling blessing, is not the blessing. This is just a periphery of whatever. So don't be deceived. We are about to start now. I told you, you go to China, churches under persecution. An American preacher went there and he said, after preaching for like three and a half hours, he was already tired and he wanted to close. And they said, no, you can't close. We are here for you for the rest of the day. He said, don't you have jobs to go? He said, we're going nowhere. He said, we are here for you. You continue, sir. And the man said, ah, why did I come here, my God? <laughs> and I've been fortunate to go to places like that over the years to preach. I remember preaching for somebody in Ibadan. And then the brother told me, he said, sir, you have three and a half hours. I looked at him. I felt like giving him honorarium. I said, these are the kind of people I like to preach for. <laughs> Ready to hear. And listen to me, if you are not patient in the presence of God, you will keep running elter skelter in life. And it's happening in this generation. Can't you see it all over the place? If you are not patient, patient rather, you see the English is even jamming everywhere. If you are not patient in the presence of God, you will run elter skelter in life. Because everything you are looking for, it is in that place you will find it. The strength you need for life is there. And I think for the most part, part of the perspective the devil has robbed many Christians of in this generation is many don't even understand anymore why do we even gather? So for them it's like we're marking attendance. That's not what we're doing. Our gathering is for edification. First Corinthians 14, 26. What is it then when you come together? Everyone of you has a tongue, an interpretation, a doctrine, a revelation. You see? He said a psalm. Let everything be done. Unto what? Edifying. So our gathering is unto what? Edifying. Edifying means to build up. So in other words, God is saying his idea for the gathering of the saints in the local church is that every time we gather, we are all built up. Every time. Even now. Oh, somebody did hear me. I said, even now. In Job 22. In Job 22, and then you will see, he says, Acquaint now thyself, verse 21, now thyself with him and be at peace, thereby good shall come unto thee. Did you see that? He says, Receive, I pray thee, the law from his mouth. Receive, I pray thee, the law from his mouth. You cannot receive in a hurry. You cannot receive in a hurry. Receive, I pray thee, the law from his mouth, and lay up his words in thine heart. If thou return to the Almighty, notice where I'm going, thou shalt be built up. Thou shalt be built up. Many Christians are so weak because they are not really getting edification. And you see, this thing, if you don't have it, you don't have it. That's the thing about it. If you don't have it, you don't have it. So when you come to church, come with the mind the expectation that I will be edified. I'll be built up. In other words, I'll be better off than when I came. Are you hear what I'm saying now? That I'll be better off. Today in this church now, one hour prayer meeting happened this morning already. And I was glad when I came into service this morning, I saw the hall filled up. People were here already praying. Intercessory prayer. I've told you, you see, it's not just one thing we are doing to while away time. Do you see that? It's an opportunity for you to come and get yourself edified. 
one hour of prayer already this morning and many were here what is the Sunday service or any church service where there is no prayer what kind of service is that when you remove prayer from any ministry especially a teaching ministry that is the teaching of the word it will just reduce everything to common knowledge prayer is what powers up a teaching ministry both for the teacher himself and for those who are receiving the teaching. Prayer powers up a teaching ministry both for the teacher and for those who are receiving the teaching. If there is no prayer, it's just head knowledge. It's just Your head will be full. You just know a lot of things, a lot of scriptures, but no revelation in your heart, therefore no results in your life. So when you're coming to church, you've got to learn that. And this is part of what affects your ability to listen. You can't listen when you are in a hurry. You cannot listen. Too many Christians, their lives are in confusion today. It's because of this fast-paced life. No patience for anything. He wants to hear God. He wants to hear him in a, in a hurry. But you can never hurry God up. Never. And one thing I can tell you about God, God doesn't speak to those who are not still. He doesn't. If you have a wrong posture, God will never talk to you. If your posture is wrong, God will not speak to you. So if we are going to be able to listen, we must learn to be patient. Learn to camp around the things of God. I see sometimes people talk about the older generation. Oh, this happened in their time. Oh, that happened in their time. Why is it not happening in our time? You don't need to look too further. We are not as patient as they were. They would tarry long and that's why they saw a lot of manifestations of God. A generation that is too much in a hurry will only become historians of what God did in the past they will never become custodians of today. We just be talking about, oh, God once did, God once did, God once did. Okay, so now, what is he doing in your life now? Nothing to show. Why? You are too much in a hurry. Too much in a hurry. Too much in a hurry. During the week, you have many distractions. All kinds of platforms. Everywhere. TikTok. And through the time, it's ticking. Jesus is coming soon. What will be your reward? What will be God's reward on your life? When you are in a hurry, in a hurry, in a hurry. So you need to calm down. Tell somebody this morning, say, neighbor, calm down. <laughs> Look at another person, tell them, say, dear neighbor, I have a very good counsel for you today. Calm down. I've told you, you see, in life, you don't really make progress by running everywhere. You make progress by knowing where to stand. There are places where you stand, the ball is coming to you there. That's one of the things that makes a good striker, like Erling Haaland. <laughs> who is now coming to Manchester City, the greatest football team in the whole world. I guess I was just really interceding for Liverpool. I better win this one, because this is the only cup you are winning this year. I mean, the second one, and that's all. Champions League, no, it's not going to happen. <laughs> Premiership, no, don't deal. It's coming to City. The City set upon the hill. <laughs> I told you, if you support my club, I can buy you a shirt. You support me? God will buy it for you. <laughs> <laughs> Ha, ha, ha.
<laughs> and if you read well about good strikers in football, one of the major things that makes a good striker is positioning. Knowing where to stay. And there are strikers, they say, even before he moves the ball, his body movement has dribbled the defender. Because he knows where to stay. And then you see some other footballer, he's running all over the place. No goal. One goal per two seasons. One goal. He's running all over the place. One goal per two seasons. But the one who knows where to stay, he's just kicking the balls in. Because it's not by running everywhere. It's by knowing where to stay. And only the Holy Ghost can show you where to stay, sir. He's the only one I can tell you. Acts 16. He said we wanted to go into Asia, but the Spirit forbade us. We wanted to go into Bithynia. The Spirit suffered them not. And then the night, Paul had a dream. A man of Macedonia saying to him, Paul, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when we woke up, he said, we gathered most assuredly that God would have us go to Macedonia. Why? That is where there is a harvest now. He would have gone to Asia and wasted his time. Gone to Bithynia and wasted his time. But Macedonia was the place at that time. We read in Philippians 4. He said, you know. He said, when I was in Macedonia, verse 16, you sent once and again. So he's telling you, he said, some things began in Macedonia. Some things began for Paul in Macedonia. He would have missed it, but for the Holy Ghost. He would have missed it, but for the Holy Ghost. Imagine what people miss. I tell you sometimes in life, it is the many things you miss that you don't even know. That is the problem. And that's the reason why it looks like there is a struggle a lot where you are. I was talking to one of my sons the Lord yesterday. And I was just telling him, and he was just asking me questions about ministry. And I said, Dad, how do I do this? Blah, blah, blah. And I told him, I said, calm down. So I said, that when things look like this in church work, it might be that you are in the wrong location. Or you are targeting the wrong people. And right then, as I was talking to him, the Holy Ghost brought my mind back to when I started ministry. When I started ministry, I was in my final year. And my first church plant in my final year, I had final year students. Spring Hill, New Booker. That was where my church was. Final year students. I had about 20 something members like that. So, and it was final year, second semester. Of course, you know what will happen to the church next semester. <laughs> all, my, all my members graduated, including me. <laughs> and you see how the Spirit of, of God works when we are counseling people. I've never remembered that story in a long while. But that was the answer he needed. I, I spoke to him <laughs> because those things you look back and you can laugh. By the seconds, by the next session like this, all my members had graduated. Only me was not left. And then I had two people that were following me. I would be carrying baskets all around the campus. I was offering basket. Our first time as refreshment, which most time we eat by ourselves because there was no, because there were no first timers coming. The first one who came didn't come back again. If you follow me, you would have heard the story of that brother. Very crazy brother like that. If I catch him. <laughs> I, can't, I can't remember his face now. I don't need to. Because that day he came to church, I was the only one in service. He was not before service, not pre-service. Service time. Like 9, 10. 10 minutes past 9, service time. Only the pastor is in church. And the first time. Of course, what do you think would have gone through his mind? If it was you, what would you have thought? God did call this man. He's still in life. How can you be a pastor and it's only you that is around? (laughs) 
I was so ashamed. I left. I went to stand outside. I said, go, what kind of shame is this? For the first time in my life, I was ashamed of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> the first and only time in my life. And I forget, the Lord said to me, why are you angry? Because I began to get angry. Where are all these my two members? When I said, all my members, just two of them. Said, Where are these two people? Where are they? <laughs> and God told me, I'll never forget. He said, why are you angry? He said, it's you I called, not them. He said, if they are not in church, I'm not bothered. It is if you are not in church. So because it's you I called. So God said to me, the people you look up to in ministry, they have all had this kind of experience. What? That was all I needed to hear. God said, this is your own. Go and, go and take it. And that's why I can tell you the story today. There are some places that are hard in life. You must face it. If you become the man God wants you to be, if you become the woman God wants you to be, you must face your own. You must walk your journey. Walk your road. God told me that day, they've had these experiences. This is your own. Take it now. Oh boy, I went back into that place with all the fire of the Holy Ghost inside me. I preached to that guy. So much, he never came back again. <laughs> I was wondering, if you see the way I was preaching, God is going to bless you. Out. <laughs> Johnny was having one. He said, It's only me. You might as well just carry your chair and draw close and let's talk. Why are you shouting with energy like this? I'm sure some boy must have said, Is he angry at me or what? Are you? <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> and I tell you, even at that time, I preached long. I didn't just start. So imagine when a, a person called, and you still preach long message like that. Of course, the two members I came joined me eventually. I can't even remember the kind of eyes I used to look at them when they came. <laughs> remember, I said, You people just call do duty me alone. And I tell you, it was so serious. Those days, set up the service. There were Sundays we set up service because I had to do most of it by myself. And after setting up into service time, I couldn't go home to bath. Just start the service like that. Now that was then. Come on now. Don't, don't move back from me. Don't move away. <laughs> that was then. <laughs> this is what I'm saying. Yeah. And you know, I went praying. And that's the thing you must learn to do. If you're doing so much, and you are not getting the result, go and ask God what is going on. It is unwise to put in more effort when it is obvious something is wrong somewhere. So there are times when it's not just about let's just do more. No, there are times you need to pause, calm down, and then go back to the Lord and say, Lord, is there something I'm missing? Is there something I'm missing? And that's what I did. And I'll never forget the Lord said to me, these are not the people you should go after. And it was, you see, you must always know there are avenues God uses to speak to us. I'll talk about that next Sunday. And I had a conversation with a dear friend, you know, who had pastored two sets in the pre-degree campus. And he had handed over the fellowship that he was serving. I was just discussing, and said, ah, man of God, I'm going to Ipet Modu now, pre-degree campus. Will you drive me there? Because I had a bus. I had a bus for the church, but I didn't have members for the church. And this time I was serving under somebody. And I was saying to people, that's it. I can teach you about faithfulness. Because I've lived the life. I'll never forget. He got so bad at a point. The man of God I was serving with called me and said, Pastor Peter, go to Joss and stay in your NYSC posting. Don't waste your time. This thing is not working. We used to call him Papa. I said, Papa, don't worry. I said, God told me to stay in this place. Don't worry, I'll stay. So he was not my church, not my ministry. No. I was serving under somebody. 
You get what I'm saying? He said, look, look, don't worry. This thing is not working. I said, sir, don't worry. It will work. He, he pitied me. He said, go to see. Don't waste your time. You're a young man. I said, sir, don't worry, sir. Let's be here. So we had a boss, but we didn't have members. If I had more speakers than members. So some fellowships began to use my... <laughs> and so I drove that brother. You see the, the love, the power of kindness. Just drove him. He was a friend. He wasn't, like my, he wasn't a mentor. He was not older. I mean, we're friends. He said, can you drive me? So I said, let's go. As we're going there, he just mentioned the person and he said, you know, I said, have you thought about doing an outreach here and everything? I was like, no, not really. And as soon as I answered that question, the Lord answered me back. He said, not really what? He said, this is where you should come to. And then the rest is issue. I went there that weekend. The first hostel I went to, that's where I met mom. <laughs> you saw what I'm saying now? I didn't meet her as my girlfriend, though. <laughs> I was looking for souls, not for wife. <laughs> but she was the first set of people that I met there, you know. And I went alone with the boss, carried my speaker, put there, and begin to, you know, blast music. You know, they were just pre-dikes. They, they just went for secondary school. You know, just, just sitting there, we were playing. I wasn't with that baby, T.Y. Bello. The land is green, is green, is green. I never, I can't forget. I became a radio presenter for the gospel. Oh, boy. <laughs> Yes, clap. It's a good place to clap. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. And then, you know, the Holy Ghost just said, that's where you should go. And boom, it began to work. But that came as a result of what? Listening. 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 Now, I was glad yesterday as I shared that story with that, my beloved son in the gospel. Something lit up inside me, inside him. Last night he sent me a picture. I said that there was something I had scribbled years ago. He said, What you said now just reminded me of it. And everything sorted just like that. Listening. Listening. There could be something in your life now that seems not to be working. And it's basically because there's something you are missing somewhere. But that is what listening will do. Usually, God is always trying to get your attention. You know, God could have spoken to Moses, thundered from heaven, but no, he saw a burning bush. And even with the burning bush, God didn't say anything yet. He had to draw close. He paid attention, then he heard something. So most times, you see, God wants to speak to you, but God will not speak if you are not attentive. So the first thing is to pay attention. Now write this down. It is only those who give attention that hear from the Lord. Only those who give attention hear from the Lord. Habakkuk 2 1. He said, I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower. That is attention. That is a posture to hear. And will watch to see what he will say unto me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. I will watch to see what he will say. But notice, first posture, I will stand upon my watch and I will watch upon the tower. That is, I'm going to give attention. I'm going to give attention. It's the reason why sometimes you need to take time off so that you can hear the Lord. We see another example of a man who gave attention. Daniel chapter 9, verse 2 to 3. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of the years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolation of Jerusalem. 
And I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. That is how to give attention to the Holy Ghost. You must create the avenue where the Holy Ghost can meet you on the subject. So Abaku said, I will, I will stand upon my watch. Daniel shows us what that kind of standing means. He said, to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. King David did the same. 1 Samuel 30, verse 7 to 8. And David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, I pray thee, bring me hither the ephod. And Abiathar brought thither the ephod to David. And David inquired at the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for thou shalt surely overtake them, and without fail recover all. But notice, he gave attention. He called the priest. That was the way they did in their own times. You couldn't call upon the Lord just as we are free to do today. The priest stood as a go-between for God and man. So he took, he asked the uh, priest to bring the ephod and King David did hear what men of the Old Testament didn't have a right to do. Did you see that? He inquired of the Lord by himself. He took the ephod from the priest. The priest ought to do it normally. But David said, give it to me. I will do it by myself. David was a king and a priest. And a prophet. In Acts 2, Peter said, and being a prophet, talking about David, he said he foresaw what God was going to do in raising Jesus from the dead. And he said certain things according to Psalm 16. Did you see that? But notice he gave attention. And he was in the midst of a crisis in 1 Samuel 30. They had lost all that they had. Their children, their wives, their things. Now, if you are in a crisis, it is important to pay attention to God, not just to cry. Is there anyone afflicted? James 5.13, let him pray. What is the prayer going to do? It will help you pay attention to the Lord from where comes your help. Are you hearing what I'm saying now? Is any afflicted? Let him pray. Let him pray. David was afflicted here. What did he do? He went to inquire from the Lord. And it's not wrong if you cry, but don't let that be all you do when things go bad. You've got to pray because crying will not solve the problem. But like I said, it's okay to cry because crying helps you to just express and let some things out of your system as it were. As some will say, but not talking nonsense. As you are crying, say, why is it like this? Why is it only me? Why always me? Are you about to tell you? So don't just cry. Pray. Pray. Ask God. You see, God loves to answer our questions. As one of the couples that came out said earlier on, powerful stuff that Shane was saying, that you see, the Lord is not a concealer. He's a revealer. Okay, it was Ernest who said that. He was, God is a revealer, not a concealer. God, God doesn't hide from his children. He reveals to us. 1 Corinthians 2.12, now we have received the spirit which is not of his world, but which is of God, that we might know those things that are freely given unto us of God. So imagine God is such a revealer that he gave his spirit so that his spirit can reveal things to us. For the Ephesians, in his prayer, Paul said in Ephesians 1.16, that the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God of glory, will grant unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. He is the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge. So what he reveals is the knowledge of God. So it means God, God wants everything about him to be known to us. 
And he has given his spirit for that purpose. And so it is our responsibility now to pay attention to that Holy Ghost. To listen to him because he has a lot to say. Somebody said the Holy Ghost, if you listen to him, he will make you look smart. That he is a genius. You listen to him, he will make you look smart. And that simply tells you that in your relationship with the Holy Ghost, you should let him do more of the talking. Let him do more of the talking. Don't be talking too much than the Holy Ghost when you are relating with him. What do you know? He is infinite in knowledge. So infinite in knowledge that he can show you things to come. Reveals things. He's a revealer. By his ministry, the believer walks through life knowing things. I love the way Brother Egan used to call him. He is the spirit of knowing. He is the spirit of seeing. That's the Holy Ghost. The spirit of knowing. The spirit of seeing. He is not the spirit of ignorance. He is the spirit of knowing. He is the spirit of seeing. Once you tune to him and yield to him, you begin to see. And you begin to know. And you will know. Glory to God. You will know things to come. You will know the plan of God. You will know the timings of God. You will know the provisions of God. You will know the protections of God. Oh, and you will know the salvation of the Lord. He said, with long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. At different points in our lives, God wants to show us the deliverance out of situations. So it means there's always salvation in every situation of life. And God says, I will show him my salvation. I will show him my salvation. And, David, and Moses said to the Israelites, stand still and you shall see the salvation of the Lord. You can see it only because God is showing it. I'm speaking by, by, by prophecy now. I hear what I'm saying now. There is a salvation from the Lord in every situation. And it is revealed to us by his spirit. So when we stand still, we will always see the salvation of the Lord. So we can never be stranded. Thank the Lord this morning. Give him thanks. Give him thanks. Glory to God. I always see your salvation, Lord. I always see the salvation of the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Glory to God. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's good. You're sensitive. Hallelujah. He said a man and his wife were driving one day and they, they, oh, they had an accident. And as they, they could see the head-on collision coming, their wife said, yay! And the man said, the snare is broken and my soul is escaped. He saw the salvation of the Lord. Because when you see it, you declare it. The snare is broken, my soul is escaped. The wife, unfortunately, amputated her leg. The man had no scratch on him. They were in the same accident. He saw the salvation of the Lord. The woman only saw danger. You see, sometimes when I look at people struggling in situations of life, my concern most times is not about the hardship you are going through. It's about what is your focus. What are you fixing your gaze on? The reason why some problems take too long to be resolved is because the person in the problem is looking at the problem. is not looking at God. It's not looking at God. If you look at the sickness, you can't be healed. In the, in the wilderness, when the serpent beat the people, and Moses cried unto God. God didn't tell him. As, as they look at their snake bites, they'll be well. No. 
God said, you make a brazen serpent, raise that serpent high. Anyone who is beaten by the snake, don't look at the pain. Look at the brazen serpent. And he said, when they look, they will leave. You know, if you were in that situation, and instead of looking at the, the brazen serpent, which was to represent Christ there, instead of looking at that brazen serpent, if all you were not doing was, yeah, it's so painful. Hey, it has become more painful than yesterday. That's the way to die. So God was saying, I know it's painful, but don't look at the pain. I know it's been months you've been expecting to get a job, but don't be looking at the joblessness. I know your heart is aching, but don't look at the ache in your heart. Look at the word. Look at the word. In other words, every time the thing stinks, don't look at it. Look at the word. When it looks like the situation has got worse, don't look at the situation. Look at the word. When you look, you leave. Most times when the devil seems to intensify a situation, it's because he wants to get your attention. And the devil knows once he steals your attention, he's going to steal your miracle. He's going to steal from you what God wanted to give you. Don't let him. Don't let him. Don't let him. Don't let the pain may be in your body. Your body may ache, but don't confess pain. Your body may ache, but don't look at the pains. Look at the word of God. Who so looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein. And he said, Do out the works, the man will be blessed. And what God is trying to do most he wants to get you on his side. Because God wants to get you on his side against what you are going through. Don't let the devil take you away from God's side. So don't look at the situation. Keep looking at him. Because he said they looked unto him and their faces were lightened. And they were not put to shame. It is impossible to look at God and be ashamed. It's not possible. If you look to him, your face will be lightened. Sir. Your countenance will be exalted and lifted. What you are struggling with will fall off. Because he dwells in light. Unapproachable. The devil cannot approach the light of God. So you look unto him. You stay with him. You stick with the world. And you will see the situation will resolve. The genius of God's word sometimes is that you won't even know when the situation will go resolve. And the reason is because the power of God resolves things effortlessly. And even now, even now, the word is working in your life. Even now, the word is working. Woo! The word is working now. Hallelujah. Whatever it is that you are trusting God for, receive it right now. Receive it now. Hallelujah. Receive it right now. Oh, receive it now. If it is healing in your body, receive your healing. If it's a supply, receive your supply. If it's a job, receive that job now. If it's a child, receive your miracle babies now. Thank God for what you have received. Go ahead. Give him thanks, give him thanks, give him thanks. Give him thanks, glory, hallelujah. Glory. Thank you, Lord. 
We give you praise. In Jesus' precious name. How to pay attention. How to pay attention. How to pay attention. All the things about teaching ministry is that he shows you how. In Mark 135, and in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. So number one way to pay attention is to separate yourself. You need to practice separation. You must know how to separate yourself. In Luke 11, 1, you notice this was a pattern in the life of Jesus. I told you earlier on, he, he sets patterns for us because he is raising a family of followers of himself. So we see the life of Jesus and we must walk the way he walked. And it came to pass, Luke 11, 1, that as he was praying in a certain place, and as you think about your prayer life, you must have a certain place. A certain place means he frequented that place. That was his joint for prayer. Did you see that? In a certain place. One, he said when he sees that, this is when he was done praying, one of his disciples said unto him, you know that was, they couldn't speak to him when he was praying. He separated himself. So they had something to say, but they waited for him to finish prayer. Then they now spoke to him. They waited. Let nobody be able to interrupt your prayer. Nobody. Let nobody be able to interrupt your prayer time. Let nobody be able to interrupt your prayer time. Matthew 17, 1. And after six days, Jesus taken Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringing them up into an high mountain apart. He bringeth them up into an high mountain apart. Apart means separate from everybody else. And you will notice that even though he took them there, if you go read later, that Jesus Christ usually would take Peter, James, and John, and yet he will still move further away from the three of them. We see an example of that in Matthew 26. In Matthew 26, 36, then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and said unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. In verse 39, And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. So you notice the first way is to separate yourself. How do you separate yourself? Separate yourself by fasting. Daniel 10, verse 2 to 3. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant bread, neither came flesh nor wine in my mouth, neither did I anoint myself at all. Anoint myself at all means he didn't, he didn't, you know, use, he didn't dress up as it were, you know, maybe makeup, cream, and all that. That's what it means by anoint myself. Did you see that? Till three whole weeks were fulfilled. This is separation. And that was, he just, he withdrew himself. That's another way to explain separation. Is to withdraw from the normal activities of life in order to hear from the Lord. And you've got to master that. There's such a thing as you withdraw. Did you see that? Uh, there's something we practice in this church every year since, uh, for, for almost, you know, for many years now. I always say towards the end of the year from October onwards like that, I always counsel that as the year is winding up, begin to spend extra time in your devotion to hear the Lord about the coming year. The, the wise man prepares for a thing ahead of the thing. 
That's why you see in this church, usually by, if I, before what night service, we're usually talking about the word for the new year. Because I don't believe it is in the new year that you'll not be receiving word for the year. You should have heard about that year before that year. Do you see that? And what you do usually when we get to that point in the year is I usually say, you know, just spend more time. In other words, withdraw. Start withdrawing from certain things so you can what? Hear God. It's important to practice separation if you will listen to the Lord. And one of the ways to separate yourself is by fasting. Is by fasting. You see, because when you separate yourself, you will hear God clearly. In Daniel 10, 7, and I, Daniel, alone, did you see that? Saw the vision. Notice now, we've seen what he said in verse 2 and 3. He said, I ate no pleasant bread. He said, I was in mourning for three full weeks. Mourning there is not just, just because somebody died. No, mourning there means he, he was in a sober state. That's what it means. He just became sober. So it means it was not time for social media, not time for movies, not time for entertainment. That's the meaning. Did you see that? And you see here is a, is a lesson on what it means to truly fast. That is when you're fasting, you've got to really separate yourself from things that, that delight your flesh. Even, even legitimate things. Did you see that? There are legitimate things that your flesh is the one who benefits from. When you watch a movie, it doesn't benefit your spirit at all. But it doesn't mean it's a sin to watch a movie. It will become a problem if you're watching it too much. It's not a problem to watch football, but if you do that, if you indulge in that too much, it can be a problem. Why? Is because whatever doesn't profit the spirit must not be done in excess. I'll say it again. Whatever does not profit the spirit must never be done in excess. Shouldn't do too much of that. So there are legitimate things. They don't profit the spirit, but they are okay. Because we're human beings. Some football watching here, some movie watching here, some social media interaction here and there. There's nothing wrong with that. You're a human being. You live on the earth. But don't mistake those things for benefits for your spirit man. They do not benefit your spirit man. There is nothing your spirit gains from watching football. I mean nothing, sir. It doesn't do nothing. There is no edification in movies for your spirit man. Except if it's a Christian one, though, where they are doing things by the word. I hear what I'm saying now. Yeah. But when you're just watching for another man, you watch you know, comedy, you laugh. Ha, 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 ha. Your spirit man is not laughing. That's not laughing in the spirit. <laughs> you are just having fun. You get what I'm saying? There's nothing wrong with that. Except if it's a lewd joke, then that's wrong. That's sin. But there are some, you know, just funny, you know, just laugh, you know. There's <laughs> nothing wrong with that. But now imagine when you now sit down with comedy skits morning till night. Now, it becomes a problem because you have now neglected your spirit man. That's the reason why it is a problem. Are you getting that? That's the reason why it's a problem. So it's not legalism. No. It's not, it's not you know, rules and regulations like, you know, don't do this, don't do that. It's the fact that when you indulge too much in those things, you are neglecting your spirit man. That is a problem. Because once that happens, the flesh will come in. At that point, the flesh will come in because you have sown to your flesh. Galatians 6. He said, if you sow to your flesh, you will of the flesh. So in other words, when you indulge in things that benefit only your flesh, the flesh will come in. The flesh is not your flesh. They are not the same. Your flesh refers to just your natural instincts, your natural stuff. He said, there's nothing wrong with that. But if you keep sowing to that, 
If that is all you indulge in, then the flesh is going to kick in. The flesh is your problem now. Because the flesh is a system of rebellion against God's word and God's spirit. And that is where all the manifestations that you see Galatians 5, the manifestations of the flesh, all those sin. So the manifestation of the flesh is sin. In other words, the harvest you reap from sowing to your flesh, when the flesh comes in, is sin. So the reason behind a sinful lifestyle for a Christian is indulgence in things of the flesh. Indulging in things that benefit only your flesh is the root of a sinful lifestyle for a believer. So you spend too much time watching movies. Sin is knocking on your door. So even though the movie itself is not a sin, it's going to open the door for sin to invade your life. And I mean, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how long you've been saved. It doesn't matter whether you're in the five-fold ministry or the seven-folded, whatever you are. The moment you give too much attention to things that profit your flesh, you will off the flesh. Reap corruption. Did you see that? That corruption is what that sin there. You will of the flesh. So you sow to your flesh, then you will of the flesh reap corruption because the flesh will step in and the flesh will manifest itself as sin. Lies, fornication. This is what I'm saying now. All kinds of vices. Hatred, emulations, bitterness. Name it. It's going to come from there. Why? Because you see, the things that do not profit this spirit inside of you, that is your reborn spirit, all right? They are the tools the devil uses to fight against your spirit man. So don't give the devil things to use. So anything you do that does not benefit your spirit, which is legitimate things we're talking about now, do them moderately. So watch movies moderately. Watch football moderately. Crack jokes and watch comedy skits how? Moderately. You want to go for a party, let it be a decent party. If at all you need to go to a party. I'm not, I'm not sure there are many decent parties around anymore. Some go to parties so much, they call themselves party animals. You are just an animal. Remove the party in front of it. Are you hear what I'm saying now? Do things moderately. Moderately. Philippians 4, 5. Let your moderation be known unto all men. He says, the Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. But notice now, in trying to hear from the Lord, there must be that separation. So, especially at times where you need to critically hear about something very, very important in your life. Then it means at that point, even the moderate entertainment has to be put on hold. So, you go from moderate entertainment at that point to no entertainment. So that you can what? Hear God clearly. You won't die if you don't watch movie for a month. Won't. As a matter of fact, you should have a constant practice that anytime you feel like you are low spiritually, take a break from most of those things for like a month so that your spirit man can come up again. Because life happens. And there are times where even you, you see, you, you see, these are why these are these are spirit things. You see, yes, as a pastor or a leader in your team, or even a friend can sense that it looks like you are not in shape spiritually. But for the most part, you will know. You are the one who will always know that I am not myself. I feel like, man, I'm dropping form. 
you should always know as a believer, keep an eye on your spiritual fitness. You should know. And whenever you sense that there is that drop, don't just gloss over it as if it's nothing because it is something. As a matter of fact, it's everything. Whenever you catch yourself and it looks like you are dropping, pick yourself up. And the first thing to do is you've got to separate yourself. You sentence yourself to some abstinence from the normal legal pleasures of life. Notice what I call it again. Normal legal pleasures. And that's the meaning of what Daniel said when he said, I, he said I was in mourning for three weeks. That was, I withdrew from the normal largesse of life. Legitimate largesse of life. And I'm not going to just, no, I'm going to just, even the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul was speaking and he said, you know, he said, even for married couples, he said, a man and his wife can decide to abstain from having sexual intercourse so that they can wait on the Lord. But he said they should agree. And of course, not for too long. Now, I'm not saying you should go deny your spouse of sex for one month. You say, what's happening? You say, I withdraw myself to separate myself to the Lord. Oh, God. But one month is too long. It's too long. Why are you all silent? <laughs> it's too long. I, I, I will never teach you that. And that's why if you are married, all right, you can't be having sex with each other once a month. What's wrong with you? Then why did you marry? Then who don't marry? So what's the, what's the point? Why do you marry and then you are not having sex more than once a month? What's, what nonsense is that? Whatever doesn't want to have sex in your body as a married man or married woman, you need deliverance. But you should have cuckoo just stayed single. Why are you looking like this? As I always tell you, sit down with your wife in the service. Some of those of you who are on duty. You know, I have a father in law saying how they, they went somewhere to preach, and mommy went to preach somewhere, and then she was preaching, and, and she, you know, the woman who, is, who was her host was a woman who really respected her a lot. And she didn't know the woman had heard one strange preacher somewhere saying that it is a sin to have sex on Sunday. And she just said by the spirit and said, There's nothing like that. That you can have sex, that there is no day where it is forbidden to have sex as a married couple. Married couple. Say married couple now. I'm saying again, say married couple now. Married couple. If you are not married, all days are forbidden for you. Until your wedding day. Tell them, say, I hear now. I hear. And I hear loud and clear. Because people don't hear in context. And so she said, she said that, and the woman, you know, she said she could see the shock on the woman's face. So she later came and said, Mommy, somebody said, said there's something like that. And she delivered that woman in a marriage. Say, you should not have sex on Sunday. Why? It's because it's Sabbath day. Don't worry, this is adult church. The children are in their own church. Are you hear what I'm saying? So Paul says, for the purpose of fasting and prayer that a couple can agree not to have sex with each other and that is to show you again the place of what separation so that you can hear the Lord and that's why I had to raise the caution to you in a married context you shouldn't let that be too long Paul said it so that you will not be tempted it's in the Bible you cannot be more spiritual than Paul I don't think so Paul said so that you will not be tempted so that was Paul is telling you if you are married and you deprive each other of sex for too long it will open the door to temptation it's very simple no worries there's a couple's breakfast in about in a few weeks 
and I'm going to be hammering on some of those things. Because some of you are married, you are young, you know, couples now, and there are people who are married and they don't understand this. They say, uh, you know, blah, 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 you don't have sex once, once in a quarter. Kilos share? He said, I'm, I'm not, I don't feel like it. I don't know what's my husband's problem. You know, Dr. Miles Moreau of Blessed Memory, before he went to build the Lord, he went to preach somewhere, and he said a woman came, the wife of the host, of the pastor, that's the pastor's wife, came to him and said, sir, I need you to help me. My husband needs deliverance. And he said, what's the problem? And the woman said, he's asking for sex every day. It's too much. You know what Miles Moreau told her? He said, even me, I need that deliverance. <laughs> he said, if you can help us. <laughs> so we both need it. Your husband needs it. Just like your husband, I also need deliverance. So he said, I need, I need deliverance too. <laughs> and those of you who are married, I'm going to tell you now, but I will emphasize it again during the couple's breakfast. You get in your spouse's mood. Once one person wants it, the other two should get in the mood. That's why you are a human being. In fact, more than a human being, you are a spirit-led human being. You can enter realms. Just enter the realms. Like Pastor Kingsley will say, there is what is called beautiful sex and there's what is called dutiful sex. The dutiful one is that you are not in the mood, but for your partner's sake, you get in the mood. And as I married, it's a place of service. You, you are there not to just benefit your personal you know, self. No, you, are, you serve one another. So you don't just, just say, I'm not in the mood, though. I'm not in the mood, though. See, see, you can't force me, it's my body. You don't know the Bible. Once you marry, he said, the woman has no power over her body, but the husband, the husband has no power over his body. But the wife. So better think before you marry now. In marriage, there is no me, there is no I, it's we and us. I hear what I'm saying now. I don't know, I'm just so tired. I say, see, I'm just so tired. I've been working all day. I'm a working class woman. Oh. Working class. Now, the balance there also is if your spouse is tired and you can see, part of your service to them in that moment is to allow them rest. After all, maybe before you married, you, did, you, were, you were not doing it. Except if you were doing it. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you turning this to a marriage seminar? <laughs> and even if you were doing it, let him that stole steal no more. Because you were stealing. You were stealing. That's how they stole from the, from the moon before the honeymoon. By the time they get married, there's no honey in the moon again. All the honey, they've sucked it before. So if you are single and you are touching, kissing, not even just the sex, if you are touching and kissing, you know what you are doing? You are using long straw. To suck your honey. You just realize that by the time you marry, there's no honey in your honeymoon again. So you just get there and say, ah, dear, let's start. What are we starting? We started since. <laughs> but listen, that doesn't, you know, don't be condemned. Fresh start for you. And that's part of the reasons why learning abstinence is important. Because that you marry does not mean you have been sentenced to a life of daily sex. And then you now begin to castigate your spouse and say, how can you not grieve? You have to grieve because we must do the will of God. Let's do today. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> 
So there is a place of that understanding that, look, your spouse is tired, just let them be. And also, no spouse should now use tiredness as, a, as an excuse. You see, because these things are heart issues. It's a message you are sending, and that message is rejection. And that's a terrible thing to do. It's the reason why sometimes it's unfortunate that you see a married couple end up to become strangers living under the same roof. Sometimes because of words they've spoken to each other out of anger, just talk anyhow. Yeah, you will say you're sorry, but you know, those words are already creating dents. So you've got to be careful what you say to each other. Be careful the reactions you give. If you're tired, there's a way to communicate it to your spouse. You don't just yell at them and say, Leave me, Jerry, I'm tired. You think I'm firewood? Ah, I will work from nine to five. I will still come home and still be working all night. <laughs> I'm not a factory worker. <laughs> you know, when you put it like that, it is no longer about the issue of your tiredness. You're actually attacking your spouse. Learn to deal with issues, not people. Separate issues from people. Don't worry, it's part of my message. The Holy Ghost has made it so. Because I told you at the beginning of the month at the prayer meeting, what the devil is doing, many Christians don't realize it. All these issues rising on social media about, you know, marriage, you know, blah, blah, and everybody's just talking there. It's better to divorce, you know, instead of somebody beating you to death. It is no longer about the issue of the battery. It is the devil trying to use that situation to throw in an idea to weaken the marriage institution. And unfortunately, many Christians are not sensitive. They, you see, that's why Paul says we should not be ignorant of the vices of the devil. Satan is always very subtle. So that when Satan is walking, he won't let you know he's walking. And he won't even want you to know what he's walking at. So you, you will see, you will think you're addressing this issue, but Satan is using this issue to hit you on many sides without you knowing. And that's why be careful before you contribute to issues that are in the public. See, a believer must learn to always identify this fact. You are not the masses. You are the peculiar people. So don't just jump into issues that the masses are talking about. We are not part of the masses. We are a chosen generation. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. A peculiar people. That is, we are not common people. So when a matter rises in society and the masses are talking about it, step back as a believer and reason from the word of God. And don't jump on it like them. Because the masses usually don't know what they are talking about. It's in the book of Acts. You see, man, they rose against Paul and they were shouting. Some were crying, casting out. And Paul said, they didn't even know what they were talking about. And it went on for hours. And that is just simply the picture of the masses for you. They never know what they are talking about. They just talk blah, blah, blah. But they don't realize what is happening is Satan is using their voices to gain authority and permission to destroy their own lives. Because nobody can do anything to you without your permission. And your permission usually is your word. Your own words are your permission. And he said a very powerful statement. And like I said, he's a faith teacher. And he said, as powerful as God is, and as he wanted to bring his people out of Egypt, he could have done it with all his power, just make everybody sleep in 48 hours, and then before they wake up, Israel has left. But God won't do that. Because God respects authority. So God will wait until Pharaoh says, go. Wicked Pharaoh. Until Pharaoh says, go. God is going to wait. And so God told Moses, keep pressuring him. Because what I want from Pharaoh is that word. 
I need that permission. Just say, go! And then, phew, even if it's a joke. Once he says, be going! Oh yeah, everybody, I'll leave it. Until Pharaoh said it, they didn't move. They didn't move. They didn't move. And that's the wisdom of God. Let me shock you. That's the same way Satan is mounting pressure on you. He needs you to say something. He needs you to say something. Because the moment you have said it, sir, the devil has become a legal oppressor of your life. And that's why if you didn't say it, sir, ah, the devil doesn't have a right. But the moment you say it, even God can't help you. Once you say what the devil wants you to say, God cannot help you. The only help God will give you at that point is to use your own mouth to reverse that thing you said. In this life, words are law. Words are law. Laws that are binding even on God himself. Even God himself is bound by the law of words. Even our God is bound by the law of words. He's bound by it. That's how I'll tell you, sincerely speaking, if you are still joking with confessions, you are joking with your life, oh, and that's an expensive joke. It's a, very, it's, it's a joke too unaffordable. You can't afford it. You can't afford it. That's what I told you. No matter how bad your situations are, never confess what is contrary to God's word. Never. Train yourself to defy feelings, to defy contrary situations. And the way to defy them is to say what the word says. And let me tell you, you see, faith doesn't, I've told you, faith doesn't deny what is going on. But faith denies that thing, access. It denies that thing, authority. It denies it, dominion. And the way it does it is to defy that thing. So you keep saying, this is what the word says. It has been said by the law. Or you also say the way the devil said, I will say of the law. He is my refuge. He is my fortress. I will say of the Lord means I will take what God has said and I will make it my own. And I will be saying it. And I will be saying it. And I will say And I'll tell you one thing as I begin to close. That is one of the benefits of separating yourself. Because when you stay before the Lord, what are you listening for? Words. Anytime we separate and wait upon the Lord, it's words God gives us. You see, God truly doesn't give you money. What he gives you is a word. The direction is in the word. And so you must always listen for the word. By separating yourself. You set yourself apart. You yield yourself to the Lord. And then he begins to guide you. He begins to guide you. We're going to stop there today. And we'll continue next Sunday. Listening to the voice of the Lord. To separate yourself. You know, let, let's take a few minutes and let's pray. Thank you Lord Jesus. This message was brought to you from the Heritage of Faith Church. Our vision is raising stronger believers. For more impactful resources, visit our website at www.holfng.org. God bless you.